Welcome to Bookcase and Coffee Presents Drinks with the Bees. I'm Becky from bookcaseandcoffee.com, and with me today is Katie. She is Books to Katie on Instagram. Welcome back to the podcast, Katie. This is not your first time to hang out. <laughs> no, it's not. Hi, everybody. It's Katie, and I just want to thank Becky again for having me back. <laughs> we kind of we got come up with like a nickname for you, like a bee name of some kind. I don't know. I mean, we'll what to, to think, think about I mean, this? Yeah, we'll think about that. A nice bee <laughs> name, not a mean bee name. Not a bee. Uh, right? You're <laughs> That's my title anyway. Back up. <laughs> um, so, Katie, what are you drinking tonight? I'm keeping it real classy with a Bud Light. Oh, yeah, that's well, like, that's what we drink in this house when I don't go to the liquor store. <laughs> was the, was the husband in charge of the beer run this week? He's pretty much always in charge of the beer run, and I don't really complain. You know, I like I like to sip on my good stuff when I don't have to be at work the next day. That's that's right. my that's my thing. What are I you drinking? That. I am drinking Glen Morin 14. It is a port cast finish. So She's it's checking whiskey. her notes, y'all. I did because <laughs> I have to be very specific with the names because I was just like, oh, look, it's like scotch. And it was finished in a wine barrel. <laughs> it's like, no, <clears throat> Beck. It's like very specific port cast finish because i made the mistake of saying i think it's sherry cast and he's like no it's port it's really good it almost tastes like wine like the buzz of like the warmness of a whiskey with like a sweet wine at the end it's really actually really good um Hmm. interesting anybody who doesn't know (laughs) the mister has gotten in quarantine into bourbon collecting or whiskey collecting so we started with like three bottles and i'm sure there's over 40 now (laughs) <laughs> ranging ranging in a wide variety like we have highland scotch and island scotch and lowland scotch and then we have american whiskey and we have bourbon and we have texas bourbon and kentucky bourbon and i don't know and we so have katie, Bud light katie come visit you can drink all the whiskey with me <laughs> i'll send jt i i can't i can't i you can't, can't do it whiskey Mm-mm. So JT can come drink bourbon and whiskey yes. with us. We would love yes, to have and him. I'll, I'll drive his sorry ass home. There we go. <laughs> um, so tell everyone what we're talking about today. All right. So tonight we are breaking down the Netflix original, The Bridgertons. Um, Bridgerton is an American streaming television period drama series created by Chris Van Dusen and produced by Shonda Rhimes. It is based on Julia Quinn's bestselling novel set in the competitive world of Regency London High Society's ton during the season which debutantes are presented at court. The series premiered on December 25th, 2020 on Netflix. So I I do want to say, and some people on the podcast might who have listened for a while might know this, but the whole reason I wanted to start a podcast was when they announced that this series was coming to Netflix, because <laughs> I loved these books. I loved them. Um, mm-hmm. I went through a period of time where I had read, you know, like Julie Garwood and Judith McNaught and Jude Devereaux. And then I had babies and life got a little crazy. And I went down like a YA rabbit hole for a while. And then I picked up the Bridgington series from Julia. And that reignited my love of historical romance. Um, And then actually like my favorite series from her is the Smith Smythe 
uh, cousins. That's like, those are my favorite. Um, but I do love the Bridgingtons and of the Bridgingtons, uh, book four is, uh, I think my favorite, which is Colin and Penelope's story. And book one is my second favorite. And I know the book one doesn't get a ton of love. Um, but it's my favorite. No. <laughs> but which one is your favorite? Well, a lot of people who will probably hear this, maybe not, maybe know who I am, know that I am a hardcore Benedict stan. Like he is end game for me. Offer from a Gentleman is my favorite, favorite book in that series. And at a very close second is um, Francesca's book, When He Was Wicked. Because that's like next level Julia Quinn for me. Like all the Bridgertons leading up to it had not had like as much angst and pining and sexiness. And then that book comes along and Francesca's absent as you see in the show too. Um, She's in, she's just, you don't know anything about her. So I feel like Julia was just like, okay, I can, I can really like stretch my legs here with this one. So I love that book. And that is by far the sexiest of all of the Bridgington books. Francesca's book is the sexiest of the books. No question. And I will say, I know you love Benedict. It is probably the most romantic, in my opinion, of the books. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a tie for Eloise's book, which is book five. Um, I to Sir Philip with love. To Sir Philip with love. I, mm-hmm. There is a level of romance, um, you know, the whimsy, the swooniness, but Benedict definitely takes the crown and Eloise is a very, very close second for the romantic one. But season one is based solely on the Duke and I, um, mm-hmm. although there are a little couple tidbits that come from some later books and it'll be interesting to see how the series evolves. Um, so let's talk all things the Bridgingtons series uh, season one. So yes, it kicks off. We get Julie Andrews as the voice of Lady Whistledown. Um, so let's talk about Lady Whistledown because it's kind of a fun piece in the books. Mm-hmm. You know, I when they started announcing, first of all, that this show was going to exist, I was beside myself with excitement. And then the casting started coming out and Nicola, who played Penelope, even talks about her like visceral reaction to finding out that Julie Andrews was going to be a part of the show. And I mean, like what person in life doesn't know who she is. She was in or a part of one of your favorite movies growing up, no matter who you are. Like, yeah, she's, she's a staple. I mean, the fact that 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 was such a big get. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a complete goddess. I mean, she's a Helen Mirren. I mean, she is Oscar winning. Tony winning. Um, I don't know if she's won an Emmy or not, um, but I do know she won a Grammy. So, mm-hmm. like, she is quintessential, amazing, and the voice of England, so to speak. Like when yeah. I think, when I think, like, um, a woman of you know great uh, lineage and stuff, the voice I hear in my head is. Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. Just... I mean, <clears throat> she was, yeah, she was like essentially the narrator of my childhood because we loved Mary Poppins in my house and we loved the sound of music. Yeah. And then later in life, I was like waiting to become Amelia Thermopolis and have my Julie Andrews <laughs> grandmother come and tell me I'm a freaking princess. It didn't happen. 
whatever but yes so julie andrews not a lot of people know the story and i'm just it's my podcast so i can take the time to tell this story so she (laughs) was on broadway for victor victoria which Mm -hmm. was a very popular musical um early 80s i believe is when it was that she was it might have been late 70s that she was in this musical she was the only member of the cast nominated for a tony so those come out early in the morning and then there are shows at night she came out onto stage after the show was over and said if you cannot see all the hard work of every person in this show i do not accept your nomination oh she I said didn't, i never no knew thank that. you yeah i mean because she is not she is not an individual that is about glory she is about building people up and when she does her craft she does it well um and so yeah that's that's one of the big legendary stories of broadway and you know anybody who listens to the podcast knows becky has a thing for broadway so (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just girl child had a literary lesson this week and the teacher is a was a uh, in theater and she's like mom i miss theater i'm like i miss theater i love theater anyway <laughs> it's fine um so yes yeah, so julie andrews she really starts the series right with a bang she's our first thing mm-hmm. that we hear um but somebody else also starts the series with a bit of a bang 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 <laughs> mr <laughs> mr anthony bridgerton you know i can't say that i'm surprised that that's how they chose to start the show because I mean they they were hyping it up to be way sexier than any Regency piece we'd ever seen thus far and yes correct answer they delivered yeah we oh. see his booty right away <laughs> um and yeah. yeah and it played well into how they kind of characterized him in the book I won't lie when I saw that Shauna Shonda Rhimes name was associated with this I was very worried uh, because Mm -hmm. she has a very specific style of storytelling and I thought she's going to ruin my stories because they're just not going to fit her type of narrative she did not she made my stories better um yeah because so Anthony is kind of mealy mouth a little bit in the first book he kind of just laughs off Daphne whatever Uh you know um you know he has moments. oh you poor simple girl yeah right um but <clears throat> he is an asshole in this series he brings um the sexy with him and sienna um mm-hmm. he doesn't always make smart choices no no he's thinking he's thinking with his dingling and not anything else you know sure. <laughs> like straight well, up that's that's who I mean, he, that's who he was and who he is so and he definitely is kind of a bit of an anti-hero in the mm-hmm. series this time around because he is making some choices for Daph- Daphne. He engages her to Nigel Burbrook. He, um, you know, seems wishy-washy about the choices he's making. Uh, he just he just really irritated me a lot of the time. Well, it's it's funny to me too because this is something that differed at least in my in my mind from the book and. Uh, the show, Anthony, um, because I had listened to the Duke and I, I don't know, like I read a book a week leading up to the premiere of the show. So November, whenever I started, um, because, you know, it had been a while since I had read them, but he definitely, he was not as disrespectful to his mother in the books. And it didn't seem like Violet was terribly put off by some of his choice words but the other thing is 
in the book, he definitely seemed way more like duty bound than he did in the show, except for when, you know, in one of the later episodes where he's getting very serious and everything, but like, you know, being there for Daphne's debut and all this other stuff, it just seemed to me they really needed to make him a dick, you know? And well, because he just, he comes off as kind of like an ass that is just really caught up in himself. Like he really plays the, you know, character of a rake Mm -hmm. very, very well. um, He does. In the series or in, in the TV series, in the Netflix series. Yeah. Because in the books, he comes off, at least in book one, the doting brother, the dutiful son. He's bound by all of this um, responsibility that's left to him because mm-hmm. his father has passed. But, and he doesn't, he seems so serious about it. Like, just so on right. task in the book. Right. Or, yeah, in the book. But in on Netflix, he's more like, eh, roll the dice, I'll get to it when I get to it. Yeah, and I'm going to boink my opera singer mistress whenever I please. And honestly, though, I'm I'm glad that they did it that way because, um, because of what it means for his story. And it would have been boring as hell if he didn't have... The show oh, would have been boring as hell if, if for it sure. had been that way. So, For sure. Yeah. For sure. And so Sienna is... Is she in book one? I don't know that we ever they I don't think that we ever actually like I don't think that she's on page her name might have been mentioned mentioned but I I think she I don't sings think that, it something yeah yeah a ball maybe even is, a later book that's something that definitely happens because you know that gets cut off real quick in his book so anyway yeah. but yeah no it's definitely like it's def- their relationship was not as big in the book as it was in the show but I think the show needed to make it big because we oh, yeah. needed to kind of see in order for us to see how big his fall is going to be in season two, we right. needed this playboy, this man of, you know, leisure or responsibility when he gets to it. And because he really does have that approach, it's it's totally <clears throat> the, you know, boss's son that comes into work 40 minutes late every day, mm-hmm. half hung over yeah. with a shirt untucked. Um you know, versus uh, being the solely responsible. So I think that'll make his season a little more, um, his fall a little more meaningful. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Daphne a little bit. In the show, this is her first season. However, in the books, mm-hmm. it's not her It's first not. Season. No. In the books, she's a little older of a character, a little more weathered as far as out in society. Um mm-hmm. She's still very young, though. I think she's 19 or 20. Like, I don't think she's that. I mean, but I think also Violet likes to get her girls out before 18. So, you know, that that tracks, at least in the book. Book. But she's definitely not like. Yeah, she in the book, she's She's definitely not a debutante. No. And there's no presenting to the queen or anything like that. Right. Well, in in the book, part of what I liked about her story in the book was she is um, almost on the shelf. So marriage Mm -hmm. is almost, she's desperate for it. She's desperate to start her family. She's seen her mother, you know, curate this sense of family, even now that her father has been passed for, you know, eight years, nine years at this point. She has seen her mother take all of these children and create this huge loving bonded family and um 
Daphne wants that. She wants a home of mm-hmm. her own. She doesn't want to live under her brother and her mother anymore. And so you don't get that sense of desperation that we got in the books in the series. Her desperation mm-hmm. in the series is more, I don't like any of these people. I'm really a country girl at heart. Um, I don't want to have to get fancy all the time. And I don't want to have to be like, she was excited for suitors. And then when only Nigel Burbrook is showing up, she's like, I, I don't want this. Right. Well, and that's the other thing too. Like Anthony inserts himself into her life when it's convenient for him to do so. Because at the first ball at Lady Danbury's ball, he shuts every, everyone down right. and scares them all off, even if they're, they seem appropriate. And the fact that I think that's what drove me so nuts about it. Like, and honestly, I really missed Diamond and Diamond, Simon and Daphne's meet cute from the book. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, we get like a teeny tiny part of that later on, and I greatly appreciated that, but um, you know, the the lengths to which Anthony went to make sure that she didn't have any real suitors show up except for Nigel the day after that ball. I was like, this motherfucker. Like right. come on, dude. And you know, all right, whatever. He's not yeah. my favorite. <laughs> he is not. He's not. I'm um, I'm honestly so in the minority and like I I keep that hot uh, opinion to myself most often. Johnny Bailey is amazing. Either. Yeah. But but do you know what? I don't love Anthony's book either. I love Kate, which is, mm-hmm. you know, now I've spoiled who he ends up with. But um, most people who are listening to this have probably read the book. Um, so, hey, Heather, keep reading the books. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I love Kate, but I don't love him and his book. I mean, I get that he has problems and it sucks. But, dude, your life is fairly freaking privileged. Get over yourself. Right. Um, okay. So I'm done with him. Uh, Daphne, um, I, I do love that she was, so in her book, she's very kind. She's very sweet. She wants to be everybody's friend and she has like an inherent excitement about life. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked that, that they kept that piece of her personality in the way they wrote the story in the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's excited to get out for her balls. She's excited to talk and meet people and she's looking forward to suitors. Um, so. Well, and I, you know, I, the fact that it wasn't in the books, but it was in the show, I really loved her being presented to the queen. I think the queen was a really cool addition to the show. I mean, it added a layer of drama that, that it, that, that it needed because there were so many things in the book that didn't, that wouldn't necessarily translate well to the show and we're able to meet more people this way. But I loved that, you know, that intro, like Anthony, Anthony's done boinking his mistress and he shows up just in the nick of time and we get to see the Featheringtons in all their glory. And which were spot on to the books. Like the Featheringtons were perfect perfect. to the books. And, uh, uh, Nicola, right. Nicola, Nicola, Nicola plays Mm -hmm. Penelope. I adore her in the uh, Dury Girls series. And so oh, yeah, she's great. And she does Penelope so well, so mm-hmm. well. Um, and we'll talk <clears throat> about that here in a little bit. But going back to the queen, I do want to say, I feel like the queen kind of took over some of the power that Lady Danbury yeah. had. Um, mm-hmm. But 
I liked how they used Lady Danbury in the series as kind of Simon's champion. His guardian angel is fairy godmother. Um, She was the love he needed. And I really loved that. I loved that in the series. It kind of gave a Mm -hmm. softness to Simon that we don't necessarily get in the books. Right. I agree. And I love that when we first get to see the both of them, they're interacting together and she's like immediately off the jump, leave the bar at home. Like, don't bring that flask, you know, like she's just like, it's as as if he hasn't been gone. You know, he comes back to town to handle all of his father's affairs and take his, you know, his role as the, the new Duke, um, whatever that meant to him at that time obviously changes, but, um, that they just pick up in their like companionable bickering and, yeah. you know, well, and mother she calls son him type out. relationship. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Simon gets all the love out there on the internets. Oh, um, baby. Oh, everybody baby. loves him. Do you know how many Ooh. times a day I see the spoon meme the spoon picture? Gift? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I just keep waiting for like my mother to send it to me or something. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. You <laughs> it know. really is. I think. Um, I think she did like the, the casting of Reggae as Simon was just, I mean, next level perfection. Yeah. Like I, I think a lot of people had a lot of issues with different casting for different reasons and, you know, everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion, but <laughs> you know, no, I, I, agree. I, I think he was perfect. And same with the, the older three brothers as well. Well, let's talk about Simon and some of the problems people had. And we're not gonna spend a ton of time on this because most people I'm going to tell you right now, shut up. Um, but I do love how they explained the person of color being because the queen is a person of color and the king has married her and had children with her. It elevated all people of color and created opportunities for them. They were not handed opportunities because of her rising up. They were opportunities were offered and they had to go with them. And that leads to some assignments back and forth with his father. His father thought he had something to prove. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like Julia Quinn and Shonda Rhimes and the showrunners really did an amazing job handling that question because there's two ways they could have gone. They could have just not talked about it and said, we casted who we casted. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Skin color doesn't matter. I know that this is supposed to be historical, but it's not. It's historical fiction. Right. Um, so they could have not addressed it at all. But the mm-hmm. way they did address it, I felt was so well done and so thoughtful that I am glad that they addressed it. And if you didn't like the interracial portion of it everybody you can just shut up (laughs) i mean i just think you know when when they started talking about the show when we knew who was producing it when we knew who was involved i mean it's hard not to expect a casting choice like that uh, or, or any of them you know and i think you know there i there's a constant discussion going on about how how to handle that, how it was handled and things like that. And, you know, I, I flip flop back and forth because, you know, my opinion is, uh, I don't think, I, I don't want to say it's not, 
important, but I'm white. I'm a white woman. Right. And this right. isn't my, you know, I am speaking I, I, as a person of privilege. Yeah. Um, well, and the other thing is too, like, I don't get to tell other people, especially black people, how they feel about how the show was, how it was done. And yeah. I, you know, I, I just think what it could what it can do and what it has done for especially Reggae's career hopefully this has opened up so many doors for him like Shonda loves him he's been in some of her work before so you know I I think I I just think that they brought he as an actor I don't care what color his skin was he brought another level of romance, mm-hmm. of swooniness. I mean, I'm a married woman of many, many years, same as you, friend. But we all mm-hmm. are like, out of the way, brother, because that's right. my man. <laughs> I mean, yes. um, you know, he and he's funny and he's sexy and he does this character well. And I also would like to remind everybody, it's fiction. Right. So let's move on to you something know, more. Go ahead. Yeah, we're not we're not here for like, you know historical accuracy if you're talking about something that clearly didn't happen until way later in life then yeah that's that's one thing but when it comes to race I don't think we get to make that call we do not so okay so um I will say let's talk about Simon and the stutter that cold opening in episode two was intense killer being born and you know like the flashbacks to his story those Every time those came up, they broke my heart. Oh, yeah. They ripped my heart out. I mean, that that was the one thing, like, when I when this was announced, I was like, that is so important to his character and his development that we have to see that. Like, we have to, we have yeah. to understand. And that my only gripe is that he didn't stutter much, like, well, yes, as an adult. I, and, you know, we know that he's supposed to have had, like, this big, giant stutter after the scene which we'll talk about here in a little bit after Mm -hmm. the scene um he's supposed to have this big stuttering breakdown to the point that he is mute because he can't get Mm -hmm. any words out and i don't feel like we ever had that big climactic moment with him i Um, mean very rarely do we get to see him struggle because he even talks about how he didn't like he would he would not speak much because he couldn't without stuttering and he didn't want people to think he was an idiot because that's what his father did to him is I mean we see that in the flashbacks in the show him calling him an imbecile and he's smart he understands what those words mean and so yeah seeing seeing him you know as a child those flashbacks how cold and cruel his father was when he was born and just let his wife die and it just dawned me as I'm sitting here and looking at my notes so that cold opening with the intensity of Simon's birth is also the episode where Eloise and Penelope are questioning where babies come from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just put that all together. And okay, can we just, um, I know they're a little further down on my list, but I really want to spend a minute on Eloise and Penelope because mm-hmm. like in every one of my comments with them, whenever they were on screen, it was like, they're amazing. I even mm-hmm. bought myself an Eloise and Penelope Forever t-shirt because <laughs> I adore <laughs> them. They're so fantastic. On oh my every, gosh, I love them. Every time they're on screen, you know, Penelope with Marina, which is a whole other issue that I had with 
the series. Mm-hmm. Marina in the books does not exist in book one. She's actually technically a cousin to the Bridgingtons, not to the Featheringtons. So I'm interested to see how all of that's going to play out. We can talk yeah. about that when it's that season. Um, but when Marina is dealing with the fact that she has an unexpected unmarried pregnancy, those mm-hmm. moments when Penelope is with her, it just shows Penelope's heart. It shows her heart and it shows how little women knew, girls, young women knew about anything, (laughs) you know, but it also, you know, she's so romantic and wants to help her and wants to make sure that she gets her back to her true love and right. Well, I watched the girl child watched, we did a rewatch and the girl child watched it with me and she's a bit of a feminist and we are a very education driven family. And she was angry. She's like, how can you not know? How can your mother not tell you? And I'm like, sweetie, not everyone is your mother. You know, <laughs> Not everyone of your, not everyone's mother reads romance novels 24 seven and right. makes you make naughty TikToks for her. I mean, come on. well and you know that just wasn't it was so taboo to them that they didn't talk about anything like that I mean look at Daphne and Violet's conversation after she got married like right that's what she got imagine if you're not getting married how little you could possibly know I mean the Um, fact that Eloise thought that you had to be married in order to make that happen you know like well and Eloise when she bursts into (laughs) The sitting room. <laughs> that is one of Has my one favorite come to be scenes. with child. <laughs> and Benedict and Colin are like, nope, not, nope, not touching it. Nope. And then she sits down between them and she's like, you know, don't you? Um, <laughs> and it's like those moments where I'm just like, I love her. But I also, one of the other things that I love, and I know this is one of your favorite parts of the series was when Eloise and Benedict were out on the swings smoking those moments. Yes. You know, I think, I think part of why I love that so much and why I was so eager to see what they were going to do in the show, because in the books we get, and I've said this a thousand times to anybody who will listen to me, a reason a lot of people love Penelope and Colin so much, they are there all the time on the page in inserting themselves in you know all all this all this stuff but like that relationship between Benedict and Eloise didn't exist like that wasn't that wasn't a relationship that anybody was technically like really none of us saw it coming yeah no and you know that developed for the series and that makes perfect sense why Benedict's second son Eloise's second daughter like Antony takes all the brunt of being the the lead of the household and then El- and right. Daphne is the oldest daughter. So right. naturally everyone thinks she's going to you know that kind of thing. So it's just like they're both sitting there wondering what to do with their lives. Benedict has they, all the privilege as a man. But so. they're also very creative individuals mm-hmm. too. They both yes. are they both are different than their siblings. Um you mm-hmm. know Benedict is an artist and paints and uh Eloise wants to be a writer she wants to learn things and know things and share stories and um mm-hmm. 
you know, so, and she has this, when she kind of teams up with the queen to figure out who Lady Whistledown is, <laughs> the creativity of her and her problem solving in those moments, you see this light to who she is. Yeah. That mm-hmm. we don't always get, because I think that in the books, you know, after you get past book one, book two, and you go into book three, um, well, no, I guess I would even say after book one, book two, and because book three happens kind of away from the family, it's yeah. really just Benedict and Colin is who you only see really in that story. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you get to book four, Hyacinth really takes over everything. Yeah. She's the one sticking her nose in everything. She kind of mm-hmm. starts to fill that void with Penelope and um and such. Well, and, and Eloise has kind of aged herself out because you know that at that point we're we're skipping ahead years and things like that. So you well, know, and Eloise is also in the midst of Colin and Penelope's story. Eloise leaves for mm-hmm. her own for her own story, but for her okay, own adventure. To- Back to the Duke and I. Back to the Duke and I. (laughs) Um, So we've talked about Benedict as an artist. Do you want to talk about him and the dressmaker and him and the drawings and Benedict? What else could you have gotten your (laughs) hands into? You know, I love that they did so much with him because, again, he didn't, he doesn't get much in the books. Um, So the fact that they really wanted to no no pun intended, but maybe paint a broader picture for him. Um, I was really grateful for because I think what they did with, Oh my gosh, what's his name? The artist. I'm totally drawing a blank right now. Um, Um, Hold on. (laughs) Marcus was his name. Marcus. No. Um, Shoot. Okay. Was it Henry? I don't, I don't remember. I, now I feel bad that I can't remember his name, but when they're at the art gallery and Lady Danbury basically forces Benedict to insult him to his face, you know, I thought that was really funny. And, you know, Benedict doesn't really apologize for it. He, but, you know, and then the artist recognizes that Benedict has an eye for artwork and invites him to his house. Henry Granville. Henry yeah, Henry. Grant. Okay. I was like, I think it's Henry. <laughs> um, but the whole, the, you know, the underground world of like the artistic and the, you know, those, those kind of folks, you know, that you have no clue unless we're shown that. And Benedict could have been doing that the whole time. And we didn't know because right. he doesn't get that kind of story. Um, I was a little worried s- about the way they went with that story though. you know honestly though like they could still spin him make him buy I don't know and um and one of our listeners she calls him you know like her uh Benedict chaotic bisexual (laughs) her chaotic bisexual and I could see it going that way but I could also see it not I, I could just I think that because Benedict has this freedom and the lack of responsibility of being the eldest um he wants to try different things. He wants to explore different things. He wants to, you know, he wants to invest in himself and in his art. And I appreciate that because when we finally do get to his story, we don't get like, we just find, like, Oh, he's an artist. Okay. The end. Um, yeah. You know, like we, this I at least gives us a glimpse into who he is 
his inner workings and, well, and this the big orgy his party. Soul. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think this painted his soul for us because we're gonna see and and I wonder how they will play out season two. Because technically, and I keep saying this, season two or book two and book three overlap. Their timeline overlaps. And so I am curious to see if season two is going to be done the same way. If there is going to be the overlap, if they'll squish Anthony and Benedict's story in together. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know they've said there's multiple seasons. Uh, you know, it's rumored that it's eight seasons. But, you know, with the way the timeline works, they could even do kind of what a Game of Thrones kind of did and shoot the two seasons simultaneously and then we can get you them know, sooner yeah and i i think that could that could work too because like you said benedict's story takes place away from london for yeah. a large portion of it and that's the thing that i really also appreciated about his relationship with madame delacroix that's a very interesting peek into what his road is with who he ends up with because his attitude about it is not, is not not great. Typical of the peerage. It's yeah. Well, right. It's not typical, but it's also not like he's a little bit of a hoity toity ass about it. And that's why I think a lot of people don't like him. Um, So I'm hoping that show Benedict changes some people's minds um because he didn't even bat an eye when he saw henry with his um with his lover and i mean he was just kind of like all right so this happens here and didn't really address it and then went and slept with his wife or whatever had a menage with his wife and everything um i'm just i just i'm really appreciative of the relationship that he had with eloise in this book um you know he came to her rescue at the opera when she was like i don't want to be here anymore it hasn't even started and benedict's like all right well let's go i've heard enough you know i appreciate those kinds of things too because you know daphne has her relationships with her siblings but she's not tight with anybody in particular like she's probably the closest technically with colin because of their their ages they're separated by like she really is a mother's girl i think that yeah i think that because of you know maybe how children are raised during that time period she has a closeness and a friendship with her mother, which I don't think we saw a ton in the TV series. You get a bit, a much bigger sense of it in the book than we mm-hmm. did in the TV series. You know, Violet yeah. is definitely this authoritative figure that's out here and the kids are all here in the center. Um, Making them but, their lists. <laughs> right. I mean, we didn't really get the list to almost the end, but the yeah. lists are mentioned almost like they're all comparing. Did you get your list? Did you get your list? Yeah. Um, Early in the book. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that Daphne, and that's the other thing too, is as you go down through the rest of the books, Daphne is rarely in them. She's in book two. She makes a little appearance in book three, but other than her seasonal ball, like her one ball of the season, Mm -hmm. she's not in any of the other books because they retire to the country to raise their brood of children. Well, and, you know, she steps in and, you know, inserts herself as the Duchess when her siblings are like, I need your help. And she's like, all right. Right. I'll, I, my seal and my, my name will get you what you want. Like they use it in Gregory's book and God knows 
how many children and how old they are at that point too, when Gregory's getting married. So, right. you know, it's, you know, it's, it's nice to see. I mean, that's, that's why the show should be done the way that it's done with, you know, a book per season. However, I think that four five and six could all, they just make one big season because they literally all within weeks get married. Those right. three siblings. <laughs> yeah. So, nope. Absolutely. You know. Um, okay. So we've talked Benedict. Colin, we've given him a little bit of love with him and Penelope. Um, he has a little bit in this book. You know, he definitely is close with Daphne, but he doesn't really have a huge impact. You, you know, I guess I remember feeling like I fell in love with Colin right from the beginning, but I don't mm-hmm. think I did. I as as I watched the series and I reread the book recently. I didn't. I don't think we fall in love with him until Benedict's story. Yeah, and he the way that he he uh he does Kate and Anthony's meet cute too. Like he's well cuz he go he actually is gone. He travels. He does his thing. He does the thing that he does at the end of the series um of season oh, 1. Right, leaving. You know. And I think that he definitely like he was not a rake in the way that Antony was. Um, but he was a flirt, a big flirt. And we only saw him really flirting with Marina right. in the show. And, you know, I, I don't think I disliked that whole storyline as much as a lot of other people. Um, it did. It well. So let me just say this. If we hadn't involved Colin, it wouldn't have bothered me as much. I didn't like that. The fact that she was so willing to essentially ruin his life without right. a, a second thought really pissed me off. But I liked, I liked how they had to do it, you know, like the way that it ended up playing out and everything. But I, I think, do like that. It showed us a bit of Penelope, um, yeah. you know, that she does have a fierceness and a protectiveness about her, which you will see play out in some of the later books a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I did appreciate that. Um, Okay, so Francesca doesn't like. She's there in the beginning, and um, mm-hmm. a f- Instagram another book blogger. She messaged me because she had never read the books, and she's like, "Okay, in the beginning there are all these children, and now they're missing one. Did they lose her?" <laughs> like, no, she's she's honestly she's not in the first book. She's not, not. In any of the books. She, she shows isn't. up for the things she shows up for the things that are important, but she's, she she's doesn't even show up relatives. for many of the things she doesn't even no. many because she's not there for Daphne's wedding in the book. Nope. She's not there for Kate and Anthony's wedding in the book because they all got married so fast. Exactly. And there was exactly. no time for her to come down for them. So yeah, uh, Gregory and Hyacinth are pretty much really non comments at this time. Although I'm glad they kept the pee scene with the Duke at oh the my family gosh. dinner. The dinner was so great. That was just perfect, you know. And the way that that got set up was Lady Danbury and Violet's machinations, like their their you know thing. There there was no deal struck up yet at that point. That's so early on. But that's that scene is straight out of the book, and I'm so glad that they did that because that was perfect. Yep, perfect. Um, let's talk a little bit. Well, you've got the Featherington storyline, and mm-hmm. that also brings me to Will Mondrick, who is the boxer, who is Simon's yes. friend. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so, and because I think you've read it more recently than I have, is Mr. Featherington alive in book one, or has he already passed? Aren't they both widows? It, yes, as far as, as far as I can recall. And I don't think that they really even address it. 
Okay. Because there's no threat necessarily of them losing. And I could be speaking out of turn because I hadn't, I, the only one I have not reread in the last year is romancing Mr. Bridgerton. So, you know, I can't recall, but I, he was not a part of, he was not a part of Penelope and Colin's story at all. Which is, which is why to, um, Portia wanted to get her girls out on the marriage mart at the same time because she wanted to make that happen as quickly as she could. And it wasn't, I don't think it was any of their debut years either. In not the in the Eye. books, in the books. Yeah. No, not in the books. Not They'd all been out all with their, now I will say, I give total props because the costumes were perfect. Perfect. That, that was is how they describe them in the books. You know, Penelope looks like a pineapple. The, my biggest <laughs> complaint with the, the like Featherington storyline is, I get it. It created a little bit of drama with the boxer and the cheating. And then, you know, Mr. Featherington meeting his demise. Um, Mm -hmm. The only thing that I really have, what was I going to talk about there? And now my brain is gone. I don't know. (laughs) I had a complaint a little bit about something within the Featheringtons that I was kind of like, oh, Nigel Burbrook, they make him a bad guy. He gets kicked out because they find out that he had a illegitimate child with a maid and, basically didn't take care of them and so Mm -hmm. the deal between him and Daphne is you know put under but um you know he's supposed to marry one of the Featherington sisters yeah he marries Prudence or not Prudence um Philippa yeah so so it's kind of you know it's a little sad that now I don't sisters are gonna have to marry somebody well Um, you know that's the other that's the other thing too like it bummed me out like they I mean they needed a villain they needed to get rid of him because he was a persistent ass and we didn't have the because Simon and Daphne strike up their deal real early and then when they realize they can't keep it a secret they tell Antony so Antony's in on it the whole time but in the show they don't do that so they had to make Nigel a huge piece of shit to get rid of him because otherwise Antony was going to keep pushing it um so you know that that moves the story along a little quicker and uh you know keeps Antony um a, a douchebag because right. he doesn't know um you know the prince the prince is it prince what's his prince name Friedrich? prince Friedrich Friedrich that was mm-hmm. not part of the book um no that I, was an whatever. extra piece and I understand why it needed to come in a little bit so that you could see you know the making Simon jealous and moving him into place a little bit more for the TV series, but I don't really think it added any value as a whole to the story. It kind of just made things a little more muddy. Um, it made things okay. muddy and it just kind of made Daphne look like a bitch. Like, yeah. Well, like she was playing games, which yeah. I think that was one of the reasons I liked her character in the book so much is because she doesn't play games. She's right. very straight on honest about things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so as we're winding down and getting close here to our hour, um, Favorite part of the series? Like, is there one moment in the series that you love more than anything else? And then we, then we're going to talk about the scene and then we'll go into the yeah. rest of it. Um, you know, honestly, I loved um, uh, everything with Benedict, Benedict forever, chef's kiss. Um, uh, I really, really loved the modern song string arrangements. I loved it. I loved I downloaded them Thank to my you phone. Next. Oh, they're so good. Amazon and music. Added- I, I had that they're on Spotify too. And the whole, the montage, the like constant boning Simon and Daphne 
to that Taylor Swift song, I was just like, well done. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I liked all the stuff when they did in the park, when they were having like their promenades and like, I mean, it was very, like, I, f- it felt super real to me. That like what I have in my mind's eye. Love, the moment oh, with yeah. her love, while super, super innocent in the world of today, that was yes. one of the most sexiest moments Sexy. in the TV. I'm like, oh, hello. That mm-hmm. was just, ah, oh, that was really perfect. So I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Daphne and Simon's scene where she and he have sex. And that's a huge controversy in the book. Um, the moment where she in the book takes advantage of his drunkenness and, um, figures out how children are made and then has sex with him and kind of doesn't get off, even though he's Mm -hmm. sort of struggling. But anyway, yeah. Um, I felt like the creators of the show did it very well. My message off to one of our friends, because she hadn't watched it yet, is once I saw that scene, that scene she was very angry about. And as an old school romance reader, the fact that the majority of my historic romance was read before 2000, you know, consent didn't exist in Regency romance or in Regency of the world. So when they were writing Regency romance, they kept it very true to that. So like the women not knowing about how babies are created and um, consent, I think that Mm -hmm. that all played into that book. I know that Julia Quinn has refused to rewrite those scenes. She's been asked multiple times. She stands behind them, leaves them as art, feels that it's dramatic for the book. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the show, the writers did a very well job handling it, modernizing it enough that it didn't feel rapey. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of the issue that I had with the book was that it was emphasized. He was intoxicated the night before and was probably still feeling it. He was into it until he wasn't. And that's when it gets ugly and gross for me. Um, in this, in the show, they did not do it that way. They did and he doesn't verbalize necessarily that he wants her to get off and in the book it's like she's they talk about how she bears down and she felt powerful and I just think the double standard that was held because she figured out that he was withholding the truth and he was mad because she did the thing that he didn't want her to do but she didn't like, there's so much that she does not know. Like she thought that because he told her that he couldn't have children, it meant that he couldn't have sex. Like she's so naive, but the other, I mean, the other thing, like, do I think that they could have not like, could she have grabbed one of his many tissues that he jacked off into? Yep. After she figured it out. Yeah. You know, and the conflict that happens in the book with him leaving and her staying and then going you know that's big and I think that that could have still been done had she not actually like followed through with forcing him to like come inside of her um and I think the other thing that a lot of people and the thing that I took issue with is that it was so blase the way that they did it with the fact that they did you they were that was a black actor and it was putting them in a position where um he was being assaulted 
even yes. though it was his wife, that still happens. That's a thing. And I think that <clears throat> that's where the biggest hangups are, um, you know, for me which at is, least. And Which is completely fair. And, and again, mm-hmm. I'm a white woman of a certain mm-hmm. age and I speak from a voice of ease and privilege. And it didn't, I felt like they did it well and kept it in there. I think mm-hmm. that the true Julia Quinn fan there would have been so much backlash had it not, they could have just even alluded to that moment happening, you know, like fight about mm-hmm. it later. They didn't have to put it on screen. But right. I think if that entire thing had been cut out, the core fans would have been angry. Mm-hmm. Her ride or die, you know, the ones that are buying her books, that are pushing her sales. I, yeah. I think, I mean, it, it's just, you know, just the, it's, it's the content of that book. And that's, I think too, why the discussion is happening. Like who else can we adapt? You know, who else's books where this isn't even an issue? Like where, like, let's do those, you know, those stories where we don't have to worry about something like that happening. Like that's, it's not as problematic. And, you know, but even before the show, Julia Quinn, her books yeah. are number one every week. And so I do. And so I often tell people, and then we can move on from this. Cause I don't want mm-hmm. to, you know, blad everybody's ear. There was <laughs> yeah. a there was a tide that turned in historical romance. Around 2016, historical romance had kind of a new dawning. Yeah. So they went away from the jo- Joanna Lindsay's, the Jude Devereaux. I mean, those ladies were still writing books. Um, but there were these newer, younger historical romance authors that were coming in, the Sarah McLeans, the uh Lisa Kelpesses. They were bringing a new, more feminist voice to Regency Mm -hmm. romance. Yep. I think Julia Quinn got kind of put in a bubble. She was started under the old school and then had to kind of modernize into the new school. And I think you see her development and change. If you write, if you read her books that she's releasing now, the voices are very different. And these actually take place, um, as their prequels, her current series that she runs right now are prequels yeah. to the Bridgington. Cause it's when Violet mm-hmm. Bridgington was a young mother um, yeah. in those books. So yeah. I think that, you know, I love the Bridgingtons. There are obviously some problems in it. I, I just think that um, we have to, in a way we have to stop viewing things. You can't look at a movie from the sixties, the same way as a movie that's made today. Because mm-hmm. we as humans have educated and evolved and have learned that that doesn't work anymore. That is not right. okay. Um, right. But it doesn't mean that there isn't some kind of value to it. it even if it's the sure. value that teaches us, don't do that. <laughs> right. Um, well, and you know, that's the thing too. Like, we're having these discussions now. I think that that's why, also why this is such a powerful thing. Um, I just think also too, a lot of people are like, just watch it don't worry about it but no you know I mm-hmm. wanted to watch it to people who have triggers and tell them like this is what you're gonna see this is what's going to happen this is the part that a lot of people take issue with myself included here's what it here's my perception here's what it looked like to me and do with that what you will I think just like the blanket statement of just giving a try is not appropriate not acceptable no it's that is not yeah. an acceptable answer and like i said um one of our friends i knew that that scene was going to be a problem for her 
when I watched it, I messaged her and I told her he wasn't drunk. Um, he isn't communicating with her. Get off. Um, yeah. he isn't, you know, you can see the power in his arms. He's holding down onto the bed and not, he could have easily pushed her off. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, and it wasn't even a moment where passion he was caught up in the passion, but it wasn't so caught up that he didn't know what was going on. Right. Um, there was there was some delay, but I think that it was, while, yes, it could have been handled differently the way they did it. I think they did it okay. Do I think it's the best mm-hmm. thing they did? No, I do not. I think we no. got just as much sexiness out of her freaking glove. Um, yeah. And I think <laughs> and the constant we, boning everywhere. <laughs> and their constant boning on some of those marble steps. I mean, that showed all of it. And like you said, there were the tissues she could have figured it out on. Um, There were other ways it could have happened. They put it in there. I don't think it's the worst thing that's ever been on TV. Sure. I mean, because, you know, 50 50 Shades of Grey got made into a movie. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Yeah. Okay. What are you anticipating the most in next season? I, you know, the way that they ended the series with Anthony making his sweeping declaration of I'm going to get married, but it's not going to be for love. That, that is his brand. And that, that carries from, from Duke and I into the Viscount who loved me. And he carries that. Almost to the very end, almost to the end. <laughs> it, Cause he's denying it. And you know what? Yeah. Like I, you know, Colin and Benedict and Colin and Benedict, they, they don't fight love the way that Antony does. They fight other yeah. things, but they don't fight falling in love the way that Antony does. So I think that he's going to get his ass kicked and I am so excited for it. I can't I'm looking wait. forward to the mallet of death. Like who isn't right. You know? Right. Um, if we can ever travel, we were totally going to have to get together and play like our own version of Paul Mall. Mm -hmm. um okay and i did like some of the easter eggs that they hinted at towards for season two i am not spoiling those because there are lots of people that don't realize they sell easter eggs Um, yes okay so i have two hang-ups well i guess it's sort of three hang-ups that i was kind of sad about i don't like that they unmasked lady whistle down at the end of season one yeah like kind of a bummer necessary she could have just ridden off we didn't need to see her face no um but i think also part of that too is like they don't really know how many seasons they're gonna get to make that is so true. that is true you know um and i did miss daphne falling into the bush yeah. uh, when they get caught just because that was this moment where simon kind of sticks up for her that makes you understand like why he cares so much about her that he can't marry her um right and then they didn't visit, they didn't go to the visit to the Greenwich, uh, Greenwich um, Observatory and the picnic. And the falling and that, in the water. The water. Yeah. yeah, that's such a big moment in the book um, it, as far as their connection. And it was kind of sad. I kind of missed that yeah. a little bit. Anything else you want to say about Bridgington's before we go into our next thing? Um, I thought it was very interesting the way that they brought Sir Philip around with Marina. It yes. kind of explains a lot, though. Like, if you've read the books and you saw that, those puzzle pieces, minus the fact that she's a relation of the Featheringtons versus the Bridgertons, yeah, that muddies things up a little bit, but it kind of 
really lends to her story in the future. He's and actually a really good looking guy too. I wish I we had so seen too. more of him. Um, I just saw a picture of him, like, you know, in modern street clothes. And I thought, he's a really good looking guy. I can't, I kind of can't wait for his story. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing, there was, there was one other thing that I wanted to say, and now I'm totally drawing a blank. Um, okay. Oh my gosh. When Violet comes home drunk from the ball and Colin is escorting her. I love that. I love that. That was so hilarious. Much. That was, that so was fun. amazing. And the way that the, when they find out that the duel is happening and Anthony's getting all serious and wants Benedict to have all the info. But when Colin gets pulled in by Daphne, that happens in the book. And I love that. Like that showed their, their relationship. Um, it kind of humanized Daphne a little bit more too, because up until then it didn't seem like she was terribly tight with anybody, but Colin's no. like, okay, fine, sis. I got your back. So, right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and one of my last lines that I wrote as I took notes, cause I watched it a couple times, not as many as Katie <laughs> has watched it, but I've watched a couple. <laughs> um, my very last line that I wrote was the HEA was achieved. So yes, true romance. We got a happily ever after. So we did, we did. So next up, so um, we're adding a new segment to the podcast, which it ties into this episode a little bit. We're calling it the Romance Buzz. Uh, we're going to give you a couple of headlines each week in this portion where we tell you how romance is making the news. Um, yes. So tonight's headlines, uh, pick one, share the first headline with us. They're both, they're both Bridgington associated. Yes. So... Bridgerton has become Netflix's biggest show with 41% of all accounts viewing at least two minutes of an episode. But that's not even like, I mean, the number of people who've streamed it start to finish is like astronomical. Like 84 mil. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's bonkers. It's their biggest, it's their biggest show to date. Yeah. That's it's yeah. so hilarious. I just, it's overwhelming to me. And I'm um, like, where y'all been? Right? Where y'all been? Come read some romance. <laughs> it's good. We've got something uh, for everybody. <laughs> we do. Um, and then also Bridgington's officially returning for second season on Netflix. Mm, mm, Technically yeah, yeah, everything yeah. I could find. <laughs> uh, filming should start this summer, but you know, with COVID. Freaking COVID. Right. Um, so that's exciting. That's news in the romance real quick um, before we get into what we're reading. Also, if you have not been on Facebook recently, you need to follow the story about the small town police chief and his, the guy what is the like hell? married and divorced and married again. And then he has like eight fiances. I'm going to tell uh -huh. you, I cannot remember the name of my children. I only have two. <laughs> this guy has like six fiances. Who has six fiances? Yeah. There are so many funny things going on with that. Somebody marked that they were safe from him trying to be engaged to them. <laughs> I saw someone else like created a timeline. Like, yeah, I saw a that flow chart mm -hmm. of who everyone is. Sweet baby Jesus. Don't go to Texas and look for a police chief. That's all I got to say. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. As we're recording this, I did see he has been arrested. So. Oh, well, good. Anyway, on forgery <laughs> for the fake annulment documents, he tried to pass off to the one lady. All right, sir. Lucky we Jesus. didn't have a Lorena Bobbitt situation. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, what are you currently reading? I actually just started um, The Right Swipe by Alicia Ray um, because 
I've been meaning to read her books and her TikToks and reels on Instagram are the best. If you've ever, yep. if you've seen them, she dressed up as like the devil before the election. It was I haven't seen brilliant. Them. Oh my find God. Them. They're so funny. Find them. Oh, TikTok is exploding with all the authors right now. If you are not on TikTok, get on BookTok because it is exploding over there. Um, I'm not cool uh, you're not cool enough. Listen, I pay the girl child in fancy coffee drinks to make TikToks <laughs> for the podcast. All, right. all, all right. of our TikToks are made by the girl child. They're all her ideas. She does she does it all. And she'll do it for, <laughs> you know, a Starbucks drink. So that's all right. my benefit. That's cheap labor. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so I'm reading the it's the Rake Hell of Roth by Am- Amelie Howard. <laughs> Amelie Howard. I had to put her name in Google. I'm terrible with names. Anyway, I'm excited to read her book. Um, I'm going back to historical, which fits into all yeah, of Yeah. And I'm reading um, it contemporary. <laughs> you've brought me to the dark side. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm happy to be here. Um, okay. So upcoming releases for the week of January 31st um, through February 6th. We've got Stranded with My Best Friend's Brother by... Mimi Kinley. Um, this is a sexy Valentine's Day novella that releases mm-hmm. on February 2nd. If you need a little Valentine's steam in your life, read this. Yes. And you do. It's so good. It's so <laughs> good. Um, and then I have Crazy With You by E.H. Lyon. It is a small town romance, the new series that she started. So tell everyone what we have coming up. All right. So we have an amazing happy hour coming up on Saturday, February 6th at 4 p.m. Central, uh, live over on the YouTube channel. And we are chatting with author Amelie Howard in anticipating her February 9th release of The Raquel of Roth. Yeah. So boozy lunch. Where, well, I guess it's midday day drinking. Yes. With day author. drink. Just like you're in college. It's going to be right? great. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm so happy. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have to get a hat. I'm going to have to get like a fancy lady hat. Amelie said she's bringing her. Uh, like she has a fascinator. Uh, a fascinator. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So we have Drunk Book Club, which is also February the 6th. So Ooh. pregame with us on happy hour. And then Katie and I are going to go over to Drunk Book Club and drink some more. <laughs> um, yeah. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> We are reading Bad uh, Mother F by Jacinda Wilder, and she and her husband, Jack, are both joining us for Drunk Book Club on February 6th. Um, We have also started to add, and also Drunk Book Club is part of our Patreon for the podcast, so um, you get an automatic membership to Drunk Book Club just by becoming part of Patreon. And we've also started to add some virtual hangouts a couple times a month where we chat books and share book recs. It's basically if you need to fill your TBR list, come join one of those hangouts with the ladies and you will leave with like 40 books you have to read. Um, You can always find out more information about our Patreon on the website and we leak it in the show notes. Uh, Katie, tell everyone what we're talking or what we're doing next time. I'm so excited for this. So excited. (laughs) All right. So do you love hockey romances or want to know who skated their way into our hearts? Then join us next time um, on Patreon. Wait. Well, just join us next time, comma, because I forgot a comma. Oh, <laughs> I was like, join us next time. Patreon member ne- and hockey. <laughs> 
Join us next time. Patreon member and hockey romance fanatic Heather is going to head to head with Becky in a hockey book boyfriend draft. They have each read over 150 hockey books to come up with their top hockey book boyfriends. This is not going to be an episode to miss. No, we're drafting y'all. We're we're drafting for our our all-star book boyfriend hockey teams. We cannot repeat titles. Um, So if I claim a guy for my hockey team, Heather cannot have him on her hockey team. So we had to do all this research and have all these backups. Um, And we'll give the rules the night of the, uh, when the episode releases, we'll have all the rules of how our draft would work. But Katie is like our commissioner and refing our draft um i'm i'm taking run bergman i'm gonna sit on his lap the whole time <laughs> you know what he is not on my list so you can just have Fine. him oh Fine. my god i didn't even have him on my list he's mine anyway okay. it doesn't matter but we can give a special <laughs> shout out to him forever and um ever. we also have a fan favorite team we had some of our fans have been nominating over the last month their different favorite hockey boyfriends. And so we'll have an honorary fan draw team um, or line. I'm not sure how it'll work. I haven't figured that much out. Yet. <laughs> I got time, <laughs> we'll get right? There. Yeah, we'll get um, there. Anyway, Katie, thank you so much for being on this episode of Drinks with the Bees. Can't wait to chat with you again um, on our yes. hockey episode. And then we're going to be together for a happy hour in Drunk Book Club. <laughs> Cheers, sister. <laughs> Thanks for joining Cheers. us. Find us on Instagram at Drinks with the Bees or on Twitter at Bees Drinks. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you'd like to support us directly, join our Patreon and receive exclusive content only available to Patreon members. Check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes. 